Welcome, church. So good to have everybody with us today, and uh, especially our online community. Glad to have you with us. And first-time guests, if we have any, I know we have some with us today. So uh, if you're in the room, would you welcome all of our online and first-time guests? Thank you for joining us today. Awesome. Hey, we are jumping in uh, to week three of our series called This is Jesus. I hope you've been here for uh, uh, both our previous weeks. If not, be sure to catch up with where we've been, uh, powerful sermons that uh, Chaz brought to us. But today we're going to be over in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles or your app, get there and uh, we'll be there here in just a second. But today we're going to be talking about power, all right? That Jesus is powerful. Now, we live in a time of culture, really not unlike any other time in culture, uh, where there is this quest for power, for strength. Maybe it's political power, authoritarian power, or just sources of energy, right? Uh, Scientists are out there always looking for different sources of energy, ways to uh, power our society and and everything. And uh, matter of fact, here in just a couple years ago, scientists, after decades of studying gamma rays, uh, they captured uh, one of the biggest gamma ray bursts they had ever uh, seen in the universe. Matter of fact, they believe this was the strongest burst ever, the most powerful burst ever. Now, I I know what some of you are thinking right now. Gamma rays, that's what turned Bruce Banner into the Incredible Hulk, right? Yes! And I went vintage, I went with Lou Ferrigno, right? I mean, you can't go wrong with Lou. Anyway, um, and you're right, yes, it was gamma rays that did that. Uh, But gamma rays are a real thing. And a matter of fact, as scientists were studying this and they saw this burst, they described it this way. It was the most intensely energetic phenomenon in the universe. I had to read that because I just wasn't going to be able to repeat it. Anyway, um, and so they talked about how incredibly powerful this thing was, even though it lasted for just a few moments, like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, this blast happened, which was actually the result of a planet imploding upon itself and then releasing this incredible amount of energy. So much energy that within one second of this burst, there was as much energy emitted in this one second that it was equal to the amount, um, I'm saying it slow because I want you to get this, all right, to the amount of energy that the sun will emit in its entire life. Oh, yeah, some of you are like, you're dumb. Anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, think about this. This, these, these, this gamma ray burst in one second emitted as much power as the sun will in its entire life. Isn't that crazy? I, don't, I have no idea how they calculated that, but anyway. Um, but nevertheless, uh, of course, scientists are studying this because what do they want to do? They want to try to figure out how can we harness some of that energy, some of that power to be able to use here on earth. Will they figure it out? I don't know. Cool. Anyway, power. All right. Now, growing up, um, and I've shared this before, uh, I grew up on a farm in Stillwater, right? Go pokes. Uh, anyway, um, how to say it? Uh, UK, are they in the tournament? No, oh, never mind. Anyway, um, where was I at? farm in Stillwater. All right. Uh, And my dad, one of our chores that my dad would often have us do, especially in the summertime, of course, was hauling hay, right? And and when we hauled hay, we hauled hay, all right? Like square bale hay. Now, some some of you, you know what I'm talking, not sissy round bales you pick up with a tractor, right? These are square bales, 70, 80 pound square bales, prairie hay, 
Load them, haul them. All right, that's, that's what we did. And uh, whenever I was in high school with my brother, we were both in high school, same, uh, you know, I was sophomore, he's senior, a uh, few years apart. My dad depended on us to recruit our high school football buddies to come and haul hay with us, all right? And so what we figured out, um, the easiest way to get a football player to come and uh, haul hay, other than giving him food, um, was to shame him, right? Like, you can't make it through one load, right? And it was always the lineman. I was a lineman, so I can speak to this. We're not the brightest. Anyway, um, so yeah, I can. I could make it all day. You know, it's like, come on, show us. And it was the lineman that often would show up. And they would make it for about one load. <laughs> it was like, you know, they're dying. Uh, so, you know, what they said on the football field did not translate into the hay field, all right? What they said in the locker room did not translate into the, the hay barn. Uh, and they couldn't prove it. They couldn't prove the power that they said that they had. In our text today, transition, Jesus makes a statement that astounds his listeners. Because the implication of his statement that he makes would imply that he is the most powerful in the universe, more powerful than gamma rays. Matter of fact, he would be the creator of gamma rays and everything else. And of course, his listeners, as they would hear him make this statement, in their mind, they're thinking, prove it. Oh, you think you're all that? Prove it. And he does. Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be. But let me back up just a little bit in the timeline. Up until this point in uh, Jesus' ministry, he has already been at work. He's been showing his power. He's, been, he's turned water to wine. He's been healing uh, several already. So there's crowds that are following him already at this point. And, uh, uh, and so he, he continues his ministry. He is in the, we find him at this point in the city of Capernaum, all right? Uh, seaside city uh, off the Sea of Galilee where he's starting his ministry. But he is been performing miracles already, making his power and his, his identity known, all right? And, and so, and this is important because as we read through the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four of them are recording these different instances, these times where he shows signs, where he shows miracles, showing his power so that others can see and so that we can Believe. Matter of fact, John speaks to this over in John chapter 20, towards the end of his account of Jesus' life. And it's there that he says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. All right, But these are written, the ones that I have written down, I haven't written them all down, but I have written as many as I thought we needed here. Uh, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by I believe in you may have life in his name. That, that through the signs, through the wonders, through the showing of his power, it should bring va validation to who Jesus is and was as the Messiah, the Son of God. And that's why the gospel writers are recording all these, all these things. Matter of fact, Luke was very methodical in his, in his record keeping and as he went back and he dug in and gave this very historical account of what Jesus was doing. And so again, we come to, to Luke chapter 5, Jesus continuing his ministry, and we find him in a home teaching here in Capernaum. 
Just most recently, we just back up just a couple of days, and Luke kind of points this out, that just most recently he has just healed a, a man of, of leprosy, right? And, and, and I believe it's Mark that shares the story that as he heals this man, Jesus tells the man, don't tell anybody about this, all right? Don't, don't let it out because I, I need some freedom still to be able to move around. And, but what does the man do? I mean, he's excited. He's been healed of leprosy. If you know anything about uh, leprosy, especially in that day and time, it was a death sentence, and you couldn't be around anybody, and now he's been healed, and he can't shut up about it. I mean, he's, he's running everywhere telling everyone, I've been healed by this guy named Jesus. And so Luke tells us that he, that Jesus, because of this man's testimony, Jesus had to often withdraw by himself to pray, to get away from the crowds recharge and to get ready for what God was continuing to do through him. And I believe that where we find Jesus today in verse 17 is right after one of those moments when, when Jesus has been away by himself praying. And we come to verse 17 and it says this, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now, let me start with the first part of that text, talking about the Pharisees and, and the teachers of the law. These were the religious elites, right? They were the keepers of the Jewish law. They were very well respected among the Jews. And, uh, and so they, they wanted it. They had been hearing about Jesus, right? You know, Jesus' popularity is skyrocketing. I mean, his social media is blowing up. Everything's going good. Uh, but, but at the same time, while his popularity is on the rise, his opposition is on the rise. And these Pharisees, these teachers of the, laws, the law, they, they are here to figure out who is this Jesus who is gaining such a crowd of our people, Right? And so they've gathered, Jesus is in this house, in this room, and he's got Pharisees and teachers of the law all around him. At the same time, there's many from the surrounding communities that are there. They want to hear too. They've heard about him. And so you've got a large crowd that is gathered. Now, the second part of that verse, let me, let me key in on, on that because I don't want us to run past this where it says this, and the power of the Lord, of God, was with Jesus to heal the sick. It's not a small statement at all. The power of God was, was on him. Luke wants his readers to know that God was working. God the Father was working through Jesus. Matter of fact, one commentator, he says it this way. Luke is going to great pains to indicate that Jesus did not require official endorsement from the Jewish hierarchy. His commission was unique, coming directly from God as his baptism had made clear already. Listen, for some 800 years, the Jewish people had been waiting on this Messiah. 800 years from the time they'd heard the prophecies of Isaiah the prophet that had talked about this Messiah that was to come. And if we go to Isaiah chapter 35, verse five and six, it's there that the prophet says this, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Talking about the Messiah. The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Hold on to that one because we're going to talk about that here in a second. The, the, the lame man leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute sing for joy. 
the description that Isaiah gave 800 years earlier sounds a lot like Jesus as he continues to show signs and wonders. There had been many who had come before Jesus claiming to be Messiah. And there have been many after Jesus claiming to be Messiah. But none of them could prove it like Jesus did. Go back to Luke 5, verse 18. Jesus is teaching. He's in the room. And it says this, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Again, word has spread, crowd is huge, and here come these friends, good friends. We all need friends like these friends. They come bringing their friend to Jesus with a hope that he'll be healed that day. And in their excitement, they are doing, they're willing to do whatever it takes. And fortunately, the crowd is not so excited. Have you ever shown up to a restaurant and you're starving to death and the wait is like an hour? Where did all these people come from? Try digging a hole in their roof, see what they do. I wouldn't. These friends, they get there and the crowd is too big, but what they see is very typical in that time, a stairway that goes to the top of the house. It it would be somewhat typical in that culture in that time to to have a flat roof with a stairwell up to the, on the side of the house where you could get on top and it'd be kind of a patio area where people might spend time to socialize or or whatever, but also a place where they could dry their clothes or they could uh, dry their foods and do different things on, on their roof. And so they, hey, let's go on the roof. And then Luke describes it as they pull back the tiles, right, which was another typical thing for a home in that time. It wouldn't be incredibly difficult to do what they did, but it would be messy. All right. Uh, you can imagine those who are in this room while Jesus is teaching and preaching the Dirt and soil begins to fall in their hair like, what's going on? And I can imagine as they begin to to lower their friend down into the room, there are some in the room that probably do get up and help bring him down to the floor. They see what's happening here. And they bring him, as Luke says, right in front of Jesus. How would Jesus respond? He's preaching. And he's teaching. And I can imagine he would say, what in the world are you doing? I am preaching in here. That's what I'd probably do. (laughs) That's not what he does. Look at verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith. Question, is your faith visible? Do people see your faith? Do you live it out in such a way that when people come around you, when they interact with you, they think, hmm, there's something a little different. And it's not just because you're weird. (laughs) It's just because 
You're like, Jesus. And his spirit is working in you. Is your faith visible? Listen to me. Don't expect to experience the power of God if you have no visible faith in God. Now, can God work in a person's life that doesn't have visible faith? Yes, we see that happen in the Bible all the time. But as believers, there are times when when we bring needs to God and we go, God, why aren't you working? Why aren't you doing this? And my question sometimes is this, where's your faith? And if your answer would be, well, I go to church every Sunday, okay, we got an issue. No, no, no. How is your faith evident in your life every day as you live out your existence here? Is it visible? Jesus takes notice. Seeing their faith, he then moves on and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. How visible is your faith? He does go on, and he says that next phrase there, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, I like to, whenever I, I, I read these stories, I, I, I like to think, what's everybody thinking? You know, put, my, put myself in the room right then. And, and like in this situation, what's the man thinking? This paralyzed man, just been lowered down. We don't know how paralyzed. Is he, is he just waist down? Is he neck down? Quadruple? We don't know how paralyzed he is, but we know he's got a major physical ailment. And Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And he's made a trek over there. Well, his friends made the trek and he got carried. But anyway, he's laying there and I have to wonder, is he thinking, you know, Jesus, have my sins forgiven. That's a neat thing. That's awesome. Thank you. I can't walk. <laughs> That's really kind of why I'm here. And I wonder what his friends are thinking. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to have to carry Chuck all the way back. This is not working out the way we planned it, right? Jesus makes this statement, you son, friend, your sins are, are forgiven. What's Jesus doing in this moment? He's addressing the greatest need that the man has. His spiritual need. Greater than his physical need, he has a spiritual need of having his sins forgiven. How often do we come to God with a physical, tangible need, circumstance that we're dealing with, and we come to him expecting him to fix that thing, but really in the middle of it, it's a deeper need. It's a spiritual need, right? God Help me get a job. God, fix my marriage. God, take away this addiction. God, heal me of this disease, right? That's, that's the tangible, physical thing that we're dealing with, that we need help with. And we go to God and we ask him for help. But maybe the issue is more than just that physical outward circumstance you're dealing with. There's a spiritual need. God, help me get a job, and, but yet, why don't you have a job? Maybe it's because you found your identity in your career and everything that you are finding available to you doesn't measure up to what you think your identity, what you deserve, right? And there's a pride issue in there. And God says there's a spiritual issue. God, fix my marriage. But let me ask you this. How, how are you as a spouse, as a husband, as a wife, are you living up to the expectations that God has put on you? Are you living out in your marriage life the spirit, 
spirit-led life, but fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, selflessness, self-control, all those things. If, if you live those things out, right, Woo, your spouse is going to love you, right? If we would get a hold of those things, allow the spirit to have total control over us, right? Spiritual issue more than a marital issue. God, take away this addiction. Run to the pills, run to the bottle, run to the screen of pornography. And, and yet, what, what is it? Where, what's at the heart of that? Is that where you find your satisfaction in, in the pill, the bottle, the screen? Is that, is that your source of satisfaction? You're not finding it in, in Jesus? You're not running to him in those moments? I don't want to minimize addictions. I know how incredibly powerful and hard they are to overcome, but, but we've got to deal with the spiritual. God, help me with this disease, this health issue that I'm struggling with. God, heal me of this thing that I'm struggling with. Yes, that's very real, but maybe it's wrecking you emotionally because spiritually, sometimes we get so focused in this world this is all we see, and we, we see the pain, we see the hurt, we see our family, we don't want to leave. And sometimes I think God's saying, hey, lift your eyes up. This is a win-win. You're, you're one of mine. Have the attitude of Paul who said, hey, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I, 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 it's win-win for me. Do we have that kind of an attitude? Is it a spiritual issue that you're dealing with in the midst of that health struggle, health problem that, that you have? God wants to deal with that spiritual. He wants you to know his hope, his joy that's available to you as a follower of him. No matter what circumstances might come. And that's what Jesus begins to address in this man's life. He deals with the spiritual before addressing the very real and obvious physical need that this man has. And again, we don't know what the man is thinking at this point. He's just had his sins forgiven. We're not real sure what's on his mind. But we do know what the Pharisees and the uh, religious teachers are thinking because Luke tells us. Verse 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they are very correct in this statement. If Jesus is not God, he just committed blasphemy, right? Because only God can forgive sins. They're on the money. But if he is God, what he just said is just fine. Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Now I wonder what the Pharisees and teachers of the law are really thinking. He knows our thoughts. What? <laughs> how, how are we going to overcome this guy if he knows everything we're thinking? Anyway, uh, uh, he knows their thoughts. Why are you thinking these things? Verse 23, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. Now, this is not a question of ling linguistics or grammar. All right, Which is easier to say? No, that's not what he's going. He's saying, which is easier to do, really? To say your sins are forgiven, where there's really no tangible, visible way to know whether it really happened or not, or to say, get up and walk, where there's a very visible proof of the power that he would show in that moment. He says, hey, guys, from where you're sitting, which would be the hardest thing to do? Verse 24. 
But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I want you to know this. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus, in, that, in the beginning of that phrase, says something amazing. He says there, I, I, I want to give you proof of my power and my authority. And he uses this title, Son of Man. Matter of fact, Luke records 25 instances in his gospel account of times when Jesus used this title of himself, Son of Man. And when he used this title, he was pointing back to Daniel. And you've got to know, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, and probably a lot of the people in the crowd, knew what he was referring to when he used that title, Son of Man. He was going back to the book of Daniel, where Daniel, when he was a college kid, got taken into captivity into Babylon, and while he was there, he rose into leadership, but while he was there, he had a vision and a dream, and he records that dream for us in Daniel chapter 7, this prophecy, if you will. He says this, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like what? A son of man. There it is. Coming with the clouds of heaven, all right? This is no ordinary son of man. He's coming with the clouds in the sky. He approached the ancient of days. Who's that? God, all right? For the Jews, they believed if you came into the presence of God or you saw the face of God, you were dead, all right? But not for the son of man. He sees God, the ancient of days, and he was led into his presence. Verse 14, he was given authority Okay, son of man, talking about he was given this authority, glory, and sovereign power. That's big. That's ultimate power. That's bigger than gamma ray power, okay? He was given sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So when Jesus refers to himself as son of man, there's a lot packed into that. <laughs> He's saying, hey, I'm the Messiah. I created everything. Everyone is going to bow and worship me, right? And so you can imagine this is raising some eyebrows as Jesus makes this incredibly big statement about his identity. But after he tells the man to get up, what happens next? Verse 25. Immediately, he, who's he? The paralyzed man. Immediately, he stood up, now the unparalyzed man, in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Maybe the greatest understatement of the Bible. <laughs> yes, he was praising God, but oh, how excited was he. Think about what's going through his mind whenever he is healed, and his atrophied muscles begin to take form and gain strength and his feet that maybe never had, had felt the pressure of the ground underneath them now begin to get feeling and he begins to stand and toes that had never wiggled begin to wiggle and he's like, wow! And he picks up his mat and goes 
home praising God. And I have to think his praise didn't just last that day, but probably for the rest of his life, he was praising God. What's the response of the, the crowd? Verse 26. After this happens, the man gets up, he heads out, praising God. Verse 26, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen a remarkable, we've seen remarkable things today. We have seen remarkable things today. Now, Luke says everyone felt that way. And I have to think the Pharisees and the, and the, the religious teachers probably had a sense of amazement about them. Wow. But based on the further response that we see in the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, I believe they also had a lot of skepticism. At best, skepticism. At worst, they were furious. How are we going to overcome this guy? You have skeptics. And you have those, as Luke described them, of those who were astonished of what they just saw happen. What happens today when somebody is confronted with the reality of the power of Jesus? I think probably those same two reactions. You have some that are skeptics. Oh, surely not. And you have those who are astonished. And maybe you're here today, you're listening today, you're watching today, and, and you're one who's still skeptical, you're, you're investigating, you're trying to figure it out, and, and, and I would say you owe it to yourself to investigate. Don't just take it for granted what other people are saying and, and, and have been telling you about how crazy this whole Jesus thing is and Christian, Christianity thing is. You owe it to yourself to investigate, to study it, figure out who he is, ask questions. There's plenty of resources but there's a reason why, we're here, why we are here 2,000 plus years later and still worshiping a Jewish carpenter. If you're skeptical, you're in a good place, and we're glad you're here. But if you're one who is a follower, a believer, and you see the power of Jesus at work, whether it be in these stories like this or in your life today, isn't it fun when those astonishing moments happen? I often say when, when, some, when some occurrences happen and someone to call it coincidence, I say, oh, there's no such thing as coincidences. God is at work. Listen to me. Jesus' power isn't to be just the past activity of God but instead it is a very real and present reality in the life of the believer. And we as believers need to hold on to that. We don't read these stories and go, man, it, it would have been so great back then. Oh, God is still at work today. He's moving today in powerful ways. If we'll open our eyes to see what he's doing all around us. And if we as believers, as followers of Jesus, will grab hold of that power, we can face life in all of its circumstances and all of its difficulties and all of its trials, and we can face this life, go through this life with, with hope, with joy, with power, right? 
because we know that God is with us and God is in us. We have that promise of the Holy Spirit inside every one of us. What, what did Paul tell young Timothy? Oh, Timothy, you weren't given a spirit of timidity, but you were given a spirit of what? Power, right? And that power is still at work in us today. And so here's what I want to say, church, all right, because I know the reality of life and I know the reality of hurts and struggles and challenges that we face as we walk through this existence that we're in. I just want to say, don't give up, right? Don't give up because the power of God is at work in us and through us and all around us. We need to recognize that. It wasn't just a then thing, it's a now thing. Listen to me, don't give up because you don't know. You don't know how Jesus might reveal his power in the person or the circumstance that you're dealing with. You just never know. We sometimes, we pray prayers and we think, okay, God, here's, here's how I need you to work this thing out. <laughs> All right? We do that, right? Here's what, here's what would be best if you would work this out, God. And God's like, oh, sit back and watch, right? God is at work today in our lives. So let's not give up. Let's press on. Let's hold on. Again, going back to Paul, Ephesians 1, this was mentioned earlier. Uh, there he says there to, to those who are struggling in their faith, he says, I pray that you would experience this incomparable power of God. I want you to experience this. I want you to know this church, he says. And we continue to pray that same prayer. We continue to seek after that same thing. We want to know that power. We want to walk in that power every day. Don't give up. Whatever circumstances you're facing, whether it's that job we talked about, marriage issues, addictions, health issues, whatever it is, don't give up. Trust that God still has the power, that same power that Jesus demonstrated in this story is still at work today. Don't give up. Father in heaven, God, we uh, sometimes we, we get so wrapped up into this world and, and we, God, you know us, you know us better than we know ourselves. We get so focused on our hurts and our hang-ups, those things that just continue to war against us. God, we get so hung up in just the culture and the darkness we see around us that is so discouraging and just, God, it, it makes it hard. But God, help every one of us as your people, as your followers, to walk in the power of your spirit that is in us. God, to be surrendered to you and what you're wanting to do in us and through us. Because God, we know you have a plan. And your plan was that your church, your people, will bring your light into the darkness. Help us to do that. Help us not to get discouraged. Help us not to give up. Help us just to keep bringing our friends to Jesus where they can find true life. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.